where last week we talked about prayer as the first spiritual habit because we learned that prayer precedes practices. Before we can do anything else, before we can sink any of these other habits into our lives, prayer comes first. We looked at Matthew chapter 6 and we learned that pray, we need that Jesus calls us to pray always, that sometimes we need to pray alone, and that we need to pray as Jesus teaches us. And so with that in mind, we're moving on to the second spiritual habit, which is uh, doctored up a little bit on our graphic here, Bible literacy. And what that really just means is reading your Bible. So I feel like a lot of you, when I just said that, you saw prayer, you, you hear reading the Bible. I feel like we talk about that all the time in church. We talk about that all the time here in student ministry. And I feel like a lot of you in your mind just checked out. But hang in there with me because I feel like with these two things, if we build these two habits into our lives, we really can, uh, can be in a position to incorporate all kinds of spiritual habits wherever God is calling us into our lives at, at a moment's notice. Because I feel like th these two, reading of the Bible and prayer, truly are, are the root of, of good spiritual practice in our lives. When we talk about reading the Bible, I think oftentimes there's a difference, right? A lot of times when we think about reading the Bible, we just think about knowing verses. We just think about, oh, like I have these passages memorized. I have these verses memorized. But there's a difference between knowing how to read the Bible and having some of it put to memory, right? And oftentimes when we only memorize a verse or two or a smaller section of a passage, right? We're not getting the whole story. This past weekend, um, we went, I took, we took the senior class on a senior retreat. And one of the things that we talked about, and one of the things that we talked about was the idea that in Jeremiah chapter 29, there's a really famous verse, verse 11, that a lot of people know. But I think it, the meaning of that verse only deepens and becomes even more important as we look at it within the context of the whole section of Jeremiah. And in that same way, if you just look at a verse and don't understand where that verse is coming from, who that verse was originally written for, then it, it, it only is telling us part of a story and maybe not even the right part of the right story. For example, what if I told you just one part of a story and then I didn't give you any of the context around it, I just said one line. So what if I told you that I have a pair of yellow ski pants with blood stains on them and they are not my blood. And that's it. That's all you get from the story. You have to draw your own conclusions. You have to figure out what that even means. And that's all I'm going to tell you for right now. That's all I'm going to tell you. I, I will, I'll fill in the context in a little bit. But just remember that. My, I got yellow ski pants and they've got blood on them and it's not my blood. But before we talk about ski pants that have blood on them, we're going to talk about reading... We're going to talk about reading our Bible, the second spiritual habit, Bible literacy. It's not just reading the Bible, but understanding how and what we are reading. And the way we're going to look at this is through three questions. Um, the, the senior pastor before Travis, his name was Bill Warwick, and I used to meet in a small group that he led on Friday afternoons uh, with a bunch of college students while I was at William & Mary. 
And he would always kind of start out with, as you look at the Bible, whatever passage, whatever scripture you're reading, we have to look at these three questions. What's it say? What's it mean? And then what does it mean to me? So that's kind of how we're going to frame this idea of, re, of Bible literacy. We're going to look at it through this lens of what's it say, what's it mean, and what's it mean to me. And so the first question, what's it say? You have to read it, right? You have to read the Bible. You can't know what the Bible says until you actually look at what it says. And so for exa an example here, we're going to look at a passage tonight and kind of walk through these steps. The what's it say, what's it mean, what's it mean to me. And so... First, what's it say? You have to read it. So Luke chapter 2, verses 41 through 52. It says this. It's in two slides because it's too much to fit. Now his parents went to Jerusalem. This is Jesus. Every year at the feast of the Passover. And when he was 12 years old, they went up according to custom. And when the feast had ended, as they were returning, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. And I love this part because if you've ever been left... Anywhere, I feel like this is very relatable. His parents did not know it, but thought he was in the group. They went a day's journey, but then began to search for him among their relatives and acquaintances. And when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem searching for him. They left Jesus behind. Oh my gosh. After three days, three days they couldn't find him. They finally found him in the temple sitting among the teachers listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. Uh, verse 48, and when his parents saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, son, why have you treated us so? Behold, your father and I have been searching for you in great distress. And he said to them, why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? And they did not understand the saying that he spoke to them. And he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was submissive to them. And his mother treasured up all these things in her heart. Verse 52, we'll, we'll stop. And Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. And so what's it say is just we read it and now let's see if we can summarize it, right? This passage is showing Jesus at 12 years old. We know that because we read it. We know that Jesus was 12. We know that his family went every year to this feast. They traveled there, and apparently they traveled in a big group with all of their extended family, in, in a big enough group that it was easy to not notice for one whole day that they had left Jesus behind in Jerusalem. And so they traveled a day out back home, realized they forgot him. So that's one day that he was in Jerusalem. They traveled a whole day back to Jerusalem to find him. That's two days and then they say on the third day, so then they spent a whole third day looking for him. And they finally found him in the temple where he was uh, uh, talking with the teachers, with the rabbis, asking them questions, right? And then they have this conversation with him, and then he goes home, and it says, Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and favor with God and man, right? That's kind of what we just read. We all understand that story, right? I tried to pick something that was, that was pretty straightforward, no, not too complicated, Nice shush, Cade. That was a nice shush. Um, all right, so what's it say? We have read it. We think we, can, we get it on a, on a face value level. We understand what this is saying. So let's look at what's it mean, the second question. We have to look at the context. We need the context of, of this passage of Scripture. And so the context that we're going to look at tonight 
is kind of based on what gospel this is from, right? This is from Luke's gospel. So in the same way that I just told you a fact about my ski pants that have blood on them, I didn't give you the context of that story. There is a lot of context just from the fact that this is in the gospel of Luke. So really quick, just so you don't think I murdered someone in, while I was wearing yellow ski pants, um, I was on a, we were on a ski trip and we got snowed in at a camp. And because we got snowed in, we had to figure out something to do that day. Obviously, we weren't going to get to the mountain to ski. So they opened up the camp we were staying at. They opened up a tubing hill. Now, unlike a tubing hill at a big resort, this is a, a camp in the middle of nowhere. And so it was really not supervised well at all. And so what happened is about 25 kids decided they wanted to chain up on tubes and go down this hill. And so when they took off down the hill, there was one girl... Uh, who became dislodged from the pack, but she was out front, and so she shot down the hill, and then 24 people who were mobbed together came down the hill and basically ran her over, okay? And so I was at the bottom of the hill watching this happen, and I was the only staff person there watching the tubing, and so I had to run up the hill, and she had gotten kicked in the face and hit in the face with the tube, and her nose was broken, and she was bleeding everywhere, and she, had, and she was unconscious. And so I had to grab this unconscious girl and carry her down the hill and get her back to camp so we could make sure she was going to be okay. And that's the story of how I got bloodstains on my yellow ski pants. See, with the context, it's very clear I'm not a murderer. I'm not a guy who, like, you know, just, like, somehow stumbled onto a crime scene, right? Like, no, I was trying to help this girl who got hurt on a ski trip. And so while this context of, in Luke chapter 2 is, is different, obviously, you weren't drawing, hopefully, too many other conclusions from the, ski, the pants story. But as we look at Luke chapter 2, I think we, it's important to know that the Gospels were not intended to be read initially, right? They were intended to be read aloud. So most people were hearing this uh, audio, audio, through an audio medium, right? It was, they were hearing someone read this out loud, uh, probably in bigger chunks than just 12 verses of what we're looking at. And so as we think about it in that context, we have to think about the entire gospel as one, th- one story, right? This is, not, this is not just a piece of, it's a piece of a larger story. And so Luke chapter 2 actually, Luke chapter 2 actually parallels the end of the gospel in Luke chapter 24, and so in Luke chapter 24, is, uh, Jesus has been killed, he's been put in the tomb, and he has been dead for three days, right? And on the third day, they go to get his body out of the tomb, but his body is not there. He is missing, so he has been, he has been dead, he is now missing three days, right? Just like they left him behind and he was missing for three days in Luke chapter 2. And Jesus... Uh, presents himself to some of the disciples on the road to Emmaus, and when, he, when they finally figure out that it is Jesus, he kind of gives a similar questioning tone that he gives his parents. Of course I'm here. Why would I not be? Why would I not be here in my father's house, he said in, in Luke chapter 2. And why would I not be here alive and well walking among you, he said in Luke 24. This story, uh, this piece of story is included to kind of help set up what is to come in later in Luke's gospel. Uh, another piece of context I think is important to know about this story is 
in verse 49, you see him use that phrase, must, right? I must be here in my father's house. This, this word must comes up multiple times throughout Luke's gospel. In Luke chapter 4, he says, I must preach the good news. In Luke chapter 9, he says, the son of man must suffer. This idea is being driven starting here throughout the rest of Luke's gospel that Jesus is doing these things because he must. There is a drive to do the Father's will, to follow the plan that has been laid out for his life, even at 12 years old. And that last verse, I think a lot of the people listening to this gospel be read aloud, this would have hit a chord. They would have known their Old Testament pretty well. They would have known their Old Testament figures pretty well. And this last line, verse 52, if you can go back to it for a sec. Um, verse 52, and Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and favor with God and man. is very similar. It would have drawn interest. It's very similar to the beginning of the story of the prophet Samuel. And so in Samuel chapter 2, I think I have that, verse 26, it says, Now the boy Samuel continued to grow, both in stature and in favor with the Lord, and also with man. And then in chapter 3, kind of setting up the Samuel story, it says, And Samuel grew, and the Lord was with him, and let none of his words fall to the ground. This, imagine listening to the gospel of Luke be read aloud, and you know nothing about Jesus, right? It's so hard to imagine that world right now that you don't know that at the end of this story, Jesus dies, that you don't know that he rises again. But you do know, because Luke put this in there, because of the context of, of 1 Samuel 2, that you do know that something important is going on with this Jesus kid, right? Something big is going to happen because they would have known that Samuel was marked by God as a, as a, as a child as a teenager, and ended up being blessed into a prominent role in God's plan for his people. So this would have been an indicator for the readers of Luke's gospel, for the hearers of Luke's gospel, that something big was coming with Jesus. So we looked at what's this passage say. We looked at some of the context. What does it mean? What did it mean when it was initially written, when it would have been initially heard? And now we got to look at what does all that mean for me? What does all that look, mean for us now trying to interpret and understand God's word 2,000 years after God's word was written? And I think verse 52 is kind of the key. Like, what's it mean to me? The application is hopefully what we're talking about in our small groups each and every week. This is, these questions is how I look at, at the passages when we prepare to, to give a talk, right? I, I read it, I try to understand the context behind it, and then I try to find how it applies to our lives today. And so, very quickly, we see Jesus increased in three things, right? In wisdom, in stature, and in favor. And so as we think about what would it look like for us to increase in these things, for us to build this habit of, of prayer, like we talked about, prayer precedes all other practices. So prayer is included in every single step. What would it look like to, to build prayer and reading our Bible into our lives, it become habits, become things that just happen every day. We don't have to put conscious thought into them. Well, we would grow in wisdom, right? We have to read. Wisdom is just knowledge applied. 
And so to apply knowledge, you need to obtain it first. How can we know what the Bible says? We can read what it says for ourselves. And in verse 47 in that story, we see Jesus in the temple talking. Uh, they were amazed at what he knew about the Bible, and yet he was still asking questions. He was still interacting with the rabbis, with the priests, right? There was a he was the son of God, and yet he still interacted with his scripture. Why would we not want to seek some level of wisdom, of knowledge of the scriptures as well? We can increase our wisdom if we read our Bible. Increase in stature. The important thing about stature, I left the footnote from the copy and paste job I did there. Uh, if you read the footnote on that word, it, it also could be translated as years. And I think one of the things that's in, it, that is not easily picked up on is right after this story, you go to Luke chapter 3. And in Luke chapter 3, we've jumped 18 years into the future with John the Baptist setting up and leading the way to Jesus' uh, ministry as an adult. Right? So we jump 18 years into the future. These things take time. We don't know Jesus was just growing in wisdom, in stature, and in favor. He was, he was living life. He was experiencing life. He was, he was getting to a point where he could then start, and when the world was ready for him to start his ministry. But for us, to look at increasing in stature, we have to recognize that these things take time. We're not going to read our Bible once and everything's good. It's going to take time. And to increase in favor of God and man. The more we know about God's word, the more we can live according to what his word says. Uh, in, that, in that period of time, that 18 years, right, we, the next part of the story we pick up is John the Baptist preparing the way for Jesus' baptism. And then we kind of pick up from his ministry there. And as John is preaching to his followers, preparing the way for Jesus, he says that he, meaning God, must increase, but I must decrease. And I think for our wisdom, our stature, and our favor to increase, God must increase as well. And we must decrease. Our importance, uh, the things that we want need to decrease as what God wants for us increases. We cannot live out the wisdom from God's word until we actually know what God's word says. Let me say that again. We cannot live out the wisdom from God's word until we actually know what God's word says. Uh, and so that's what we're going to talk about tonight. And, and hopefully we're not talking as much about what happened in Luke 2. I feel like that would be the easy thing is, is to look at this Luke chapter 2 passage. But I want to, hopefully we're talking about the idea of what it would look like to every time we read scripture to go filter it through these three questions. To think about what does this verse, this passage, this chapter, this book mean? What does it mean to me? Alright, what so we're going to talk about in small groups tonight. Let me pray for us and then uh, we'll head out. Lord Jesus... We thank you so much for this opportunity to gather, to dive into your word, to, to not just see what your word says, but to hopefully gain a step forward in how to read it. Jesus, we know that, that, that your word, that your word is divine, that it, has, it is your word that you have left for us to follow. And if only we can know what your word says, 
If it, only if it was an easy, as easy as opening a book and reading it. And we thank you so much that it is. And we ask that you be with each and every one of us this week as we attempt to, to not only build the habit of prayer into our lives, but now build this idea, this habit of reading your word into our lives as well. Be with each and every one of us. Uh, give us the, the, the strength to ignore any temptation that might try to distract us from your word. Uh, and give us the eyes to see and ears to hear what it is you have to say to us through your word. God, we love you, we praise you, and we thank you. And all God's people said.